I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Secret Cabinet. Good evening and welcome to The Secret Cabinet. Today, Hell's Revenge, the worst singer of all time. And no, we're not talking about Yvonne Katterfeld or Helena Fischer. We're talking about Miss Florence Foster Jenkins. And according to the old proverb, that the difference between guano-level crazy and eccentric is just the number in your bank account, we get the very eccentric lady of the American upper crust. She was born 1868, daughter of to the filthy rich industrialist Charles Dorrance Foster and his wife, Mary Jane Hoagland, in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. Already early on, she developed the wish to be the most successful and famous opera singer in the world and study this overseas. Unfortunately, the father wanted none of that wish, especially since Florence showed absolutely no sign of talent. Only after the divorce of her just-as-skeptic husband Frank Thornton Jenkins in 1902 and the death of her dad in 1909, through whom she inherited a considerable fortune, Florence could finally follow her own destiny. For a while, she joined as the suffragettes, the early American movement for women's rights. She took singing classes, got entrance to the musical circles of Philadelphia and later also New York, especially after she had founded the Verdi Club there for musically enthusiastic women, and financed this. And since 1912, she gave people a taste of her own singing abilities. With intonation, pronunciation, rhythm, she didn't take any of that stuff too seriously. With an almost dreamlike wandering precision, she missed all sorts of notes of some of the classics. But all of that she made up for with her incredible show of enthusiasm. One must know the notes pretty well to be able to avoid them so skillfully, people said. The journalist Robert Bagar wrote about her. She was really happy with what she did. Unfortunately, that's hardly an artist. And this luck she communicated as through magic to her audience. She, however, was absolutely convinced of the fact that she had enormous talent. Once when she was involved in a car accident... She sent the guy that caused the accident, a New York taxi driver, a box of cigars as a thank you present. Because since the accident, her high F got even higher. For her performances, she chose 
the luxurious ho hotels of the with culture dripping metropolis. Twice a year, she performed in the Sherry Netherland Hotel on Park Avenue, once a year in the Ritz-Carlton, but only in front of a hand-picked audience. And as a matter of fact, despite her rather quack-like singing, narrow vocal range, and no feel for timing, and despite her narrow vocal range and tone deafness, and these being notoriously hard-to-please New Yorker audiences, her performance kept getting more and more successful and in demand. That might have not had much to do with her interpretations of Johann Strauss, Verdi, and Mozart. Rather, much more the entertainment value of her shows. The stages were decorated with potted palms and exotic flowers. Miss Jenkins espoused the idea that the radiating smells will mingle with her singing and couple into a great sensory experience. She herself wore homemade, extravagant costumes, as if an incantation of the queen of the night or angel of inspiration. Big white feathered wings on her back and all. And as she would screech her songs, she would throw petals into the jubilant audience. She whoever had them then gathered back up for the next show. The petals, not the audience. And once in an ecstasy of emotion, she even chucked the basket right with the petals. The laughter that started to boil up didn't bother her in the least. She interpreted it as professional jealousy of her competition. She was always accompanied by her pianist, Cosme McDouble, the pieces for Foster Jenkins. And he always threw in a couple of really difficult parts where she would consistently miss. McMoon would then make a face and roll his eyes behind her back to try and even get further laughs. Certain masochistic virtues I'm sure we can see in him, since he did stay with her, Foster Jenkins, a whole three decades of her career and remained her loyal companion, although the good pay might also have something to do with it. The unequivocal high point of her career was on the 25th of October, 1944. Instead of her usual habit of performing in an exclusive hotel for a small audience, she had rented for one night the respectable Carnegie Hall. The tickets for the concert were sold out weeks before the event. New Yorkers practically beat themselves up over tickets. And in the black market, you'd have to pay up to $20 for one ticket from a scalper. In those times, a respectable amount of money. Supposedly 2,000 disappointed fans were turned away at the door. The concert, of course, was a grandiose success. The people laughed, they screamed and yelled until, until they started to tear up. On the next day, the music critics started to trump one another in the newspapers with ironic criticism of the event. One wrote, obviously a little surprised, that Florence Jenkins had not, quote, to not let herself be scared off by the intentions of the composers. Another one wrote that only Miss Jenkins had the ability to add some spice to the works through quarter notes that only she would randomly put over or under the original note. Now, if this was meant to be the final concert for the already 76-year-old, or as others think that the destroying criticism finally hit its mark, in either way, it was her last performance. Only one month and one day later, on the 29th of November, 1944, died the most misunderstood diva of all times, Florence Foster Jenkins. On her tombstone, the epitaph is something that she said to her critics, 
People may say I can't sing, but no one can ever say I didn't sing. But her voice lives on because luckily, or however one might see this, (laughs) the diva was able to get her way and get her singing pressed to vinyl. So that altogether some nine recordings survive, something which the world has thanked her for ever since. Even from the sound engineers, she didn't let herself be steered wrong. As these once suggested to her to repeat a recording, she shrugged it off, saying that the first try had been, quote, excellent, practically not improvable. Where the sound technicians had to admit, she was of course right. And I'm sure as you're about to be able to empathize, as you're about to hear Jenkins give it her best with the aria of the Queen of the Night, but despite what you're about to hear, come like us on the Secret Cabinet Facebook page anyways. Oh, and one more thing. If afterwards you hear some whistling in your ear, that's normal. And here she is, the divine, the unique, the big, Florence Foster Jenkins.
Thank you.